Love is spiritual, not natural. You ever think about that? This is absolutely miraculous. With love, you get the results now. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd, and welcome to Deep Water, where we discuss tough issues, painful issues, issues that uh, get us stuck, keep us stuck, issues that cause us to go down the wrong path for years of our life, issues that we get to and we don't see any way out. We don't see a, a um, obvious conclusion or obvious answer or, or whatever. And today we're talking about gender issues. And before I even start, I, I want to make it perfectly clear, I, I do not at all consider myself an expert in gender issues. I have a PhD in psychology and we did have a number of classes on like biological psychology and things like that, but it was not a specialty of mine. Uh, I have an, an ND, a doctorate in natural medicine, where I had some more of that stuff, probably much more than the psychology. Um, and I'm an ordained minister, have been for a uh, long, long time. But uh, I do not uh, consider myself in any way, shape, form, or fashion a, an expert in this issue. But it is an issue that is just huge today. It's in the news all the time. Uh, it's easily one of the five biggest um, controversial things, I believe, that is swirling around out there. So uh, the point of, of what I'm doing here, the point of deep water, to me at least, is let's start talking about issues that are important. Not that I've got the answers. I don't most of the time. But let's start talking about what's important. So uh, maybe you'll get something from this that you can talk about to someone that you love or care about uh, instead of just the weather or watching another sitcom on TV. Or talk about over lunch with someone. Hey, you've seen this stuff in the news. What, what, what do you think about this? Um, uh, or, or maybe invite someone over for pizza. And, and the whole purpose of it is, can we sit around the table and uh, in kindness and respect and love and truth just have conversations about important issues in our life or what's going on in the world or other people's lives or things like that. That's, to me, that's the purpose of this. It, not that what I'm saying is, is the law. It's not. It, it, if anything, it's a starting place for a discussion. So I wanted that to be clear. Um, it reminds me of the, of the scripture verse that talks about, you know, be careful about wanting to be a teacher because you're going to be judged more harshly uh, on what you teach lest you it, because you could lead someone astray. And I certainly hope I don't um, do that here. And I've, I've really done this with a lot of prayer, a lot of soul searching, a lot of meditation over about the last month. Um, so, uh, first of all, whatever is the truth 
meaning that's it, no discussion, to me, is what God says and, uh, and what God says in, in his word. But there's a number of things about this particular issue that you won't find in here. Um, a, a thing called intersex, where one in a thousand uh, people are born with intersex, which is basically gender indeterminate. It could go either way. Uh, 10% of people, of all people, all men, all women, are born with hormonal imbalances, meaning for men, way too much estrogen, for women, way too much testosterone, that makes them for sure feel and sometimes even look um, in ways that are not consistent with that sex. Uh, there's psychological factors. There's false memory syndrome. There's, there's, there's all kinds of issues here that I'm going to go into a little more depth about, but um, you just need to understand on the front end that we're talking about millions of people up to, up to um, probably 10, 12 million people in the United States or more, hundreds of millions around the world who would fall into the category that is not addressed here um, about, about how they are made up physically. That is not just a man or a woman. It's, it's really kind of in between or could go either way or we don't know yet or something like that. And um, I know the way I grew up, if I heard anyone say what I just said, man, that person is going straight to hell. That is so, woo, boy, that is, I, I would have said that. I would have thought that. But um, today, I don't, uh, because you have to look at the truth. Um, I do believe that uh, biblically, homosexuality is a sin. Paul says it's a sin. Uh, there are some people that say, well, what it's really talking about is rape, not, um, not homosexuality. I'm not a biblical scholar, okay? Um, that may be possible, okay? Uh, I, I, because I'm not a scholar, it, it doesn't seem like that's what it means to me. But I also do not believe from the word that that is the unpardonable sin. Do not believe that. Uh, Jesus did not speak about these issues in any of his words. Um, and I did want to read a couple of passages where I believe God talks about what is most important to him. And in the places that he talks about that, these issues are not mentioned there, including homosexuality. Um, this one, James 1.27. Let me get my glasses here. Religion. This is uh, James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right? 
So widows and orphans and not polluted by the world, what does that mean? Well, I guess some of these gender issues could play in there, but when Jesus was asked about the law, he said the greatest commandment is love and the second one is love, and if you do that, you've kept the whole law. You've kept the whole law. So you've not been polluted by the world if you've acted in love. So to me, at least that's how I look at that. Um, the scene on Judgment Day in heaven, okay, where God is saying, you come into heaven, you don't, and the criteria on which he bases that is Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And this is... this. This is what Scripture is saying is going to be the criteria for you either coming into heaven or not, for me, for everyone. All right. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we clothe you? When did we see you sick? And God will say, I tell you the truth, whenever you did for one of the least of these my brothers, you did for me. And I believe gender issues are, are largely about identity. And doing counseling and therapy for, for more than 30 years, I, I found that almost everything about our life uh, funnels down, or if, you're, if you want to call it a least common denominator, very often comes down to your identity. And, and most people uh, who are seeking, searching type people are searching for their identity. Who, who am I really? And so they go look into their family history or the history of America or whatever country that you live in. And what's the history of my particular family? Uh, I, I looked into that many years ago. I, I'm from the South in the United States and I look to see does my family have a history of slavery, and, and, and that was very important to me as far as my identity or, or, or a little piece of my identity. Uh, your feelings are certainly relevant to your identity, but I would say um, if the counseling and therapy that I did were was successful with people, that we did not create an identity, we discovered their true identity. And that was success. And that, to me, is life-changing. But this, this, uh, on this topic of gender issues, it's, it's a complicated one. And, and, and let, me, let me start here. I grew up in a very strict religious home. Um, took me decades to recover from that, really. And, and I still have things pop up that give me problems about that. Very legalistic, very harsh. Uh, kind of, God is just waiting for you to step a foot out of line so he can whack you. That, that's kind of what I grew up in and was programmed in, in, in those critical programming 
years of life. Um, so that's kind of where I come from. And then I get to my um, doctoral program in psychology and, and, and the doctorate in natural medicine. And in our textbooks, there's pictures of babies where you cannot tell which sex the baby is. And, and man, this was virgin stuff to me. I'd never heard anything about that my whole life. And I was probably 20, 23, 24 years old then. And I didn't even know this existed. And there were picture after picture after picture. And, and, and some of them looked a little bit more like a boy, but not completely. Some looked a little bit more like a girl, but not completely. Um, and, and at first, that was very, very troubling to me. And I remember I went to a medical doctor, uh, an old, wise medical doctor who had seen, kind of seen it all, with my textbook. And, and I was sort of in this uh, religious, spiritual crisis a little bit and said, these pictures, is this some conspiracy theory thing where people have made this stuff up? Have, have these been doctored? You know, um, this... And and uh, and the very kind, wonderful medical doctor put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, "No, Alex, that that is absolutely real. It happens, and as best I can tell, it has happened for as long as um, uh, at least we we have any records of man. These kind of things have happened, it, and it's called intersex." Uh, some people, it's not really a name, but some people would kind of say sex indeterminate, all right? But the official name is intersex, I-N-T-E-R-S-E-X. And uh, the statistics on this are that one in a thousand of all people born, all people on planet Earth, are born intersex. Meaning, it is not completely clear which sex they are. All right? One in a thousand. So, if you want to do the math on that, um, that's, that's 328,000 people in the United States today are, are intersex as far as their sexual organs are concerned. Um, that would be... Not, that would be 7,800,000 intersex people in the world, all right? But, that, but that's not where it ends, okay? About 10% of boys are born where they either have at birth or develop later in life high estrogen. Uh, much higher than is normal for a boy. And that has all sorts of physical, uh, psychological, emotional, your thoughts, your feelings, implications. About 10% of, uh, of men, I'm sorry, of women, have the same thing with testosterone. Either at birth or later, they develop much, much higher testosterone than is typical for a girl, and it causes her to look different and feel different. Okay? 
So if you look at those numbers, that would be 7,800,000 people in the United States and 780 million in the world just for those two things. Uh, there's, there's another issue that I think is very relevant. It's called gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria happens in about um, 1 in 30,000 men and 1 in 100,000 women. Uh, often it's associated with abuse, but not always. And gender dysphoria is where the person feels more like the other sex than they do their own sex. And they're not trying to. It, 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 it happens. It, it, it's against their will, really. It's a burden to them. It's not something they would want, okay? But that's one in, in 100,000 women, one in about 30,000 men. So if you put all of those numbers together, you're looking at millions of people in the United States, millions of people all around the world, who, if they are trying to discover who they are, their identity, it's going to be more difficult for them than the average person. And, and, and I believe, for that reason alone, we need to have, uh, we need to reserve judgment as long as we can. We need to be kind. We need to embrace them in love. They need, their, they need our support, not our criticism. Uh, I do believe there's some other issues involved. Uh, one of them is simply uh, acceptance rejection. And, and this is primarily a psychological thing where someone uh, maybe, maybe does not feel uh, very accepted by their peers or maybe even their parents by whatever group that they're in and they see that um, uh, another group of people is getting a lot of attention and, and, and a lot of love, you might say, and so they decide in their mind, I'm going to join that group so maybe I'll get some of that attention that I desperately need because I'm not getting it now in, in the group that I'm in. Um, another one is gang mentality. And, and uh, this is very well documented with all kinds of studies that, that gang mentality is really all about love. All right? It, it, it's a place where people who don't feel like they make a difference or are accepted as they are, can be loved and accepted as they are. Alright? Uh, that, that can factor in. I, even if you don't have any of those physical things, even if you are not intersex, if you don't have an estrogen testosterone issue, if you don't have gender dysphoria, you can still have an acceptance rejection issue or a kind of gang mentality that you're seeking love, and this group seems to be getting a lot of love, so I think I'll join that group. I, I, I will say I've worked with a, a fair number over 30 plus years of people in these kinds of situations, and I'm not sure that I've ever seen that one turn out well, where that is not really the person's identity 
They just feel like they need love and acceptance, and so they change their identity. Okay, I'm going to decide that I'm this instead of that because they're getting a lot of love and attention. I've rarely seen that work out well. Sometimes there, there's a honeymoon period where they seem very happy, but typically long-term, that's not what happens. They tend to crash, in my experience, long-term because to them, way down deep, that is not their identity. They are deciding to go against their identity for a particular reason, love and acceptance in this case. And I'm all for love and acceptance, but I believe it has to be with your true identity, not with just something that you make up because those people are getting some attention that I feel like I want. Uh, one, of the, one of the real negative things I see in gender issues is um, the cruelty of people. Uh, I, I, re I remember for all my life being um, in junior high school when uh, I went to a private Christian high school. And at that private Christian high school, I would guess there was probably 10 or 15 boys that were some of the meanest, meanest young men I've ever seen. And uh, I know some of them today are not. They have changed and they're wonderful people now. But back then, um, they seemed to take a great delight in hurting people. Okay? And as I've been watching some of the gender issues uh, on the internet and on television and, and things like that, one of the things I thought of, especially when they were talking about um, an intersex person or something like that going into the restroom like uh, of the opposite sex, one of the things I thought of was that, was just the cruelty of some people. And I absolutely believe 100% that if this had been happening, uh, the, the gender issue stuff had been happening like it is today when I was in junior high, that some of those mean kids would have absolutely tortured those people who were involved in the gender issues just to be mean and no other reason. And, um, and that, that hurts me every time I think of it. So I would say, I would say to all of us who maybe are not involved in, in, in some of this gender stuff, is um, you can always be kind. And, and there's never a call to be mean or to hurt someone, okay? You don't know what they're going through. They may not even know what all they're going through, all right? But one thing I can almost guarantee you is they are trying, they are trying to live their best life. They may not feel like they're being able to do it, you know, kind of three steps forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, three steps back, but they're trying. And n nobody wakes up in the morning and says, okay, I'm going to start trying to have my worst life. I'm going to start trying to be miserable. I'm going to... No, 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 no. Before, that, before a person ever gets close to anything like that, they try over and over and over and over to live their best life 
to find out their true identity and live it, to love others and be loved. Uh, it's only when that doesn't work typically over a long period of time does someone turn, um, you, you might kind of say, to the dark side. Uh, another issue with, with this gender thing is uh, back in the 70s, I believe, in uh, America and around the world, I believe it was the 70s, that may not, it may have been 80s, but um, false memory syndrome became a, a big deal. And the way it kind of shook out is psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, counselors, social workers would be counseling people who had problems in their life that they were trying to resolve. That's why they were doing the counseling. And of course, the counselor or therapist is trying to figure out what is really the problem. Uh, uh, counseling 101, my very first day in any psychology class, the professor wrote on the board, the issue is never the issue. And then went on to explain that when the person tells you their problem, why, why they are there seeing you, that's almost never the problem. The problem is something else underlying some source issue that's causing that. And your job is, is not to, to fix the symptom, it's to find the source and, and work on that, which is almost never their presenting problem. So counselors and therapists are trained to, okay, that's what they're saying the problem is, but where does it really come from? Well, in, in most psychological um, diagnoses, there's a lot of overlap. I mean, the same psychological diagnosis, two or three different psychological diagnoses can have four or five of the same character traits. So how do you know which one it is? Well, you, you try to narrow it down, you try to rule things out as you talk to them more and more, things like that, but you're not always correct. And back in the 70s, there was a rash of therapists who supposedly found abuse and, and very often sexual abuse in their client when the sexual abuse never happened. And they and they were able, in a lot of these cases, to document, go back, and, and, and they conclusively, you know, the person wasn't even in the country during that time, you know, things like that, um, that that abuse never happened. It was the therapist imposing their belief that there was abuse, and then all of a sudden, the client, yeah, you know, I think I may remember something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And then they go home and they keep thinking about it. And then a month later, yes, I was abused. This is what happened when in reality, in a number of those situations, that is not what happened. It never happened. It was a false memory syndrome issue. And, and typically, the therapist is at least some sometimes almost completely responsible and at fault for that, all right? What's the point in, in gender issues? Is The point is that when we start thinking out in, in our pain, 
about who we are and where things come from and who am I really and and um, I'm in pain because I'm rejected and other people are not being nice to me or, or, or whatever, whatever, all right? We can start to create an alternate reality that is an alternate reality. It's not reality. It's just like imagining something. Uh, I, 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 uh, this is a, an example I like to use because it's so obvious. In the um, years that I've been doing counseling and therapy, I believe it's, I believe it's four people, four ladies, who had told me that in a past life they were Cleopatra. Okay? Four. Four. Four of my clients, this is true, over the years have told me that in a past life they were Cleopatra. And I mean they were all sure about it. They could tell me details. Um, They made up details that, you know, uh, could not be confirmed, you know, uh, about uh, what was inside the pyramids and the palace and that sort of thing and their servants and items on the shelves for decoration. I, I mean, on and on and on, okay? The problem is that that wasn't real. So going down that road as an identity in their life, all four of them, had to overcome that in order to have a happy, healthy life. All right? And and I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes about past lives, okay? It's just that there can't be four Cleopatras. There there was one Cleopatra, all right? Um, Now, maybe, maybe one of... (laughs) No. Anyway, I, I think you see where I'm going. But, so, false memory syndrome and that type of thing can also play a part here, all right? Where the person is in so much pain that they go to an alternate reality and then it becomes, they believe, their actual reality when it's not. The problem with that is they haven't discovered their true identity and started to live it. They've created an alternative identity that's not really them. And the only point I'm trying to make is I've rarely, if ever, seen that work out well. That what I have seen work out well is when people find their true identity and live that, okay? Um, but also the the physiological stuff, the the uh, people in the world and, and new babies all the time who are intersex, the 10% of women and 10% of women whose estrogen and testosterone are, are out, of, out of balance, where they're supposed to be, and it makes them feel different. That's not what I'm talking about as an alternative reality. That is a reality. That's true with those people. The, um, the gender dysphoria, where the person just believes and feels 
they're not trying to. In fact, they're trying not to because it's a hard way to live as a little kid. But they can't help it. They, they feel and believe that they are the other sex. Those, those are not what I'm calling identity problems. All right? Those are real. Those are real physical, chemical, hormonal, uh, psychological programming that, that is very real. All right? And I believe the job for me, the job for you, if you do not fall under one of those categories, is that you should be kind at all times. You should love. You should respect. You should withhold judgment. Uh, the Indians used to have a thing. You, you can't judge someone till you've walked a day in their moccasins. And I absolutely believe that is true. And, and of course, we can't walk in these moccasins, which means we can't judge. Very often, I believe the person who, who, who is an intersex person or has gender dysphoria or their estrogen or testosterone is way out of balance. They don't even know exactly what's going on. All they know is how they feel and it is real to them. Um, the, the young men and women that I have worked with in counseling and therapy who told me that they were uh, gay or that they were lesbian. I will say one thing that I have noticed be consistent is that those things don't tend to change. You know, a lot of people say, well, they'll grow out of it, or, or um, you know, it's just a phase they're going through, or it's this or that. That's not been my experience. Uh, in my experience, I have not seen those things change over time. And uh, I have seen some go through conversion-type therapies and quit doing the behavior. Now, I'll also say that most of them that I've talked to who did that had major traumas now in their life from the conversion therapy itself. Okay? So, is it possible that some of those wonderful young men and ladies that I worked with were intersex or or had gender dysphoria, or were among the 10% of men and women whose estrogen and testosterone is dramatically off and causes them to feel for sure and sometimes even look different. I do believe that's possible. And that's why I felt my job was to love them, to support them, to uh, try to help them find what is their true identity, not an alternate reality that, that, that causes even more pain in their life and they wake up 20 years later and say, well, that sure didn't work. Uh, I wish I hadn't gone down that road, but to try to find their true identity. And, um, and I think anyone who is doing that, honestly, truly, trying to find what, who, who am I? What is my true down to the bottom of my heart, identity, I think that's a good thing. In fact, that, I think that's a search that all of us should be on, whether we have gender issues or not, unless we've already done that journey and found our true identity and are living it. And, and most of the people, I'll tell you, who I've seen in my counseling office 
have not gone on that journey in their life. They may may have gone down it with me once we started working together, but they had not done it until that point. So I believe in, in, in most of these issues, God is the only one who knows the truth. Very often the person doesn't even know themselves. But especially for those of us who maybe do not have any of these gender complications, our place needs to be love, kindness, support, encouragement, um, and, and, and to help that person in any way that we can. Not to attack them, not to criticize them, not to beat up on them like those cruel kids in junior high that I was alluding to early. And by the way, the only reason I brought that up uh, about the junior high thing when I was in junior high is if those if the gender issues that are happening today were happening then, uh, then I have no doubt in my mind that some of those boys would have dressed up as women to go into the women's restroom for no other reason than to attack and hurt someone. That, that was my point. I'm not sure I brought that out. Um, so that's my two cents, is it's a complicated issue. There are real physiological, psychological uh, issues that play into this that are very oftentimes beyond that person's control. And so if, if, if you don't have any issues like this, my my suggestion is is to withhold judgment, love, support, and leave leave the judgment up to God, who's the only one who really knows. If you are in these gender issues situation, my advice would be to to explore it, to um, uh, see who you really are, what your identity really is. To, to read uh, the Bible and, and, and maybe uh, all the wisdom literature that you can get your hands on. And the only caution I would give you is don't go against your identity just for some gang mentality type love and acceptance. And, and I shouldn't use that word gang mentality because that implies violence and I'm not implying violence here. Alright? But for a person just to not feel accepted and say, oh, well this group is getting a lot of positive love and acceptance attention so I'm going to go change my identity to be in that group so I'll get the love and attention. I believe that's likely to turn out bad for you. And, and all I want is your health, your happiness. And I totally understand the, uh, the attraction. I'm just saying that in the years that I've been trying to help people with some of these issues, um, that one has rarely turned out well. So, um, uh, love and acceptance and find out who you are, live who you are, um, and, and, and pray about it. I, I think prayer will, will help lead and guide you 
to your true identity and, uh, and the best possible life for you. All right. Uh, difficult subject. I feel like a fish out of water in a lot of ways discussing this, but I've had a lot of people ask me to weigh in. Um, don't feel like I've done a good job at all. Um, I hope nothing I've said is being um, twisted to uh, attack people who are just trying to be happy. That's not my intention at all. It's just to share my experience, my two cents, and uh, my evaluation of the different factors that are going on. If you find and live your true identity, to me, that is always the right thing to do, a good thing to do, and something that usually gets better and better over decades. If you create an alternate identity that is not really who you are because you think your identity is negative because people are treating you that way. And by the way, that's not true. I believe everyone's true identity is wonderful and positive. You're not better than anybody else, but you're also not worse than anybody else. Okay? We're all equal and, and love is what we should all be about. But if you create an alternate identity that is not who you really are, I've rarely seen that end well decades down the road. It usually ends badly decades down the road. So that's my concern, is if some people seeing, oh, these, these, there's a lot of spotlight shining on this group right now, and they're getting a lot of affirmation. Yeah, way to go. We're behind you. And that's what I feel like I need. So I'm going to join that group even though inside I don't really feel like part of that group. I don't think that's my real identity, but I'm going to go over there because I just want some of that, those pats on the backs and positive feedback. That one usually ends badly long term in my experience. Now, what is your true identity? Um, I believe that's someone everyone has to find for themselves. And it's not me to judge. It's not you to judge. It's, it, it's not really anybody to judge. I think really God and that person are the only ones that can know that for sure. And sometimes that person doesn't really know for sure. So it, it's an area to search and keep searching uh, until you are, you, you just know in your heart, this is who I am, um, regardless of whether they like me or not. Um, that's the winner that, that I've found long-term over time. So not, not, not trying to criticize or put anybody down. My job is to love everybody, period. That's it. And I, I believe that should be your job and everyone's job. What I'm talking about here is strictly what I have witnessed seems to work out well long-term for people versus what tends to not work out well long-term for people. And again, no judgment here because there's no way I can know. And probably neither can anybody else at least not completely. So find out who you really are and live that.
One thing that I cannot stress enough is that until you decide what your identity is, you don't know who and what you are in, in these gender issues, okay? Because your identity is what determines that. Well, to determine your identity, I think you got to go on kind of a journey, a spiritual journey, all right? And your parents can't do it for you. Your significant other can't do it for you. Your friend can't do it for you. No one can. You have to do it yourself. Um, I call this the five big questions. And I think the first one is, what is the meaning of life? And, and another one is, what is your purpose in this life? And I think you've got to go through and answer those five questions before you can know what your identity is. And then when you know what your identity is, then I think you can make a, a good decision. But making a decision, I, I wanted to, to stress this too. From, from so many people who I've worked with with gender issues, what I hear is about 99% attraction. Okay? I'm not attracted to this person, I'm attracted to this person. Or I'm not attracted to this sex, I'm attracted to that sex. Well, is that a factor to consider? Absolutely. Is that the factor to consider? I would say no. And here's why. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock had a wonderful uh, quote, uh, and you may be too young to know who Alfred Hitchcock was, but he was one of the best horror film or suspense film directors uh, of all time, and very, very famous in his time. You ought to watch one of his movies if you haven't. They're really good. But, but anyway, Hitchcock had a, uh, a famous quote that... Um, anyone is capable of murder under the right circumstances. And of course, his horror movies, there's murder in a lot of them, okay? Well, I know he's not a psychologist, but he's exactly right, okay? That's kind of the Les Miserables story, one of my favorite plays and musicals. Oh, what an incredible, incredible story. I watch it several times a year uh, just for the good of my heart. But, but the whole story is about a person committing a crime who in normal circumstances would never have committed a crime. And then everything that came from that. Well, when we're talking about gender issues and sexual attraction, I believe that under certain extreme at times, sometimes not so extreme, circumstances, any person can become aroused in just about any sexual circumstance. I've seen that. I believe that. I've talked to people in the field. I've talked to people. Uh, one of my dear friends is uh, a psychologist who his, um, he's actually called a sexologist. His specialty is working with sexual issues. Okay? And he absolutely confirmed that's true, that pretty much any person could be aroused sexually by almost any type of sexual situation if they were exposed to it long enough 
in the right circumstances. Okay? So, especially if you're talking about someone who's endured a lot of pain or who's in a lot of pain now, uh, people have rejected them, people have hurt them, uh, you know, situations like that, not always, but sometimes that's the case. Um, you need to understand that. Taking physical attraction just by itself, in isolation, I do not believe that tells you your identity. At least not in the majority of cases. Maybe occasionally. You know, maybe if, uh, if, if you are an intersex person or sex indeterminate person at birth, you know, maybe, maybe. But even then, I, I would be very, very careful with that because anyone could respond that same way that you're feeling right now if they were in the right circumstance. And so maybe the reason you're responding is the circumstance, not that that's your identity. So I would highly recommend going through the five big questions. And you can find that on this site, okay? Uh, and it, it took me a lifetime to put that stuff together working with people who were trying to find their identity and live their best life. And I do believe the only way you can live your best life is not if you create an identity that maybe even is an alternate identity. That's not who you really are. But if you're creating it because you think it will feel good and you'll be happier there. That is virtually never your best life. Your best life is finding your identity that is unique to you in the history of the world. No one else has ever had your exact identity, meaning, purpose, etc. except you. And I don't believe you are going to be have the life that you want, the life that we all want until you go on that journey yourself, answer those five, que five big questions of life, and discover who you really are at your, in your heart, at your core. There's an ancient manuscript from the Bible that says, um, if you do something believing that it's wrong, that it is wrong for you. Now, Looking at that with some reverse engineering, some uh, grammar, looking at how that, that phrase is stated, it would also indicate that there are other people for which that would not necessarily be wrong. And, and I think that's another place that we tend to get tripped up is yes, some things are black and white, okay? If you walk up and shoot somebody in the head for no reason at all, um, I believe that is wrong. And in, unless you're mentally ill, you believe it's wrong too. That stuff is just built into us. Okay? Uh, another ancient manuscript says that our conscience is the law written on our heart. Okay? And if we follow our conscience, it will lead us to the morally right choice and decision for us unless, and there's a big unless, unless your conscience is seared, it's, 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 it's 
like uh, you burned your hand and now you don't have any feeling there because that part of your hand is dead now. Your conscience can be uh, not dead, but at a place where you really can't hear from it because it, it's spoken to you, go this way, and you've gone that way. Over and over and over and over. You've ignored it. You've, you've not done what your conscience told you was the right thing for you to do. The difference in that and burning your hand is your conscience can come back. If you start listening to it, it will come back. All right, And then you have this incredible mechanism built in you, the law that is written on your heart for what is right and wrong, what is best and not as good for you in just about any and every situation. And so that's another big one. Uh, I would say that, that there may be some things for you that are wrong for you that are not wrong for other people. There may be some things that are not wrong for you that are wrong for other people. Or did I just say the same thing twice? I think you get the idea. Uh, there may be some things that are wrong for you or right for you that is not true of other people. And I absolutely believe that. Your conscience can tell you what those things are. So before you just do something or before you just um, do what feels good, consult your conscience. Okay? And pause. Give it some time. Don't, don't, don't demand an answer in five seconds. Give it a day or two. Go through these five big questions in your life and then start saying, okay, what, how do I really feel way deep in my heart, in my conscience about this gender issue or having that kind of physical activity? All right? Uh, but remember, you can't just go on attraction because you could be attracted to virtually anything in the right circumstance. You need to consult your conscience. And yes, it is true that just because somebody says that's wrong doesn't necessarily mean it is wrong and especially for you. But you're not going to know that until you go through the five big questions, find your identity, and consult your conscience. That's the only way you're going to know that for yourself. And the only way to have your best life is to act on who you really are after finding your true identity. Another thing I've seen over the years I will call um, cult programming. You can become cult programmed to believe almost anything and take almost any kind of action. You can be programmed to murder people uh, almost like a sociopath and really not even have any remorse or regret about it. I'm sure some of you have heard of Stockholm Syndrome where someone is kidnapped and during the kidnapping they become brainwashed and sometimes this is just over a period of weeks and they are rescued but after they're rescued they're not the same person anymore and now they have the agenda of the people that kidnapped them and maybe now they're a murderer even where before they were the farthest thing you can imagine from that. I was cult programmed. I was raised in a strict religious Christian 
environment. I, I, I mean, it was harsh at times, a lot of times, okay? And it seriously took me about 10 years once I realized that so much of what I had been taught and programmed wasn't true, it took me about 10 years to recover from that. My wife, Hope, can tell you that um, after I discovered the truth about a lot of the stuff I was taught growing up, I had nightmares and night sweats every single night for six months. I would wake up every night screaming. And, and soaking in sweat, and I'd soak the sheets and blankets in sweat. Terrified her to death until we figured out what it was. It, it was it was that it was trying to deprogram me from that cult programming. I, I was having these nightmares that I was going to hell. That you know I was like God was dangling me on a string above a fire and doing like this with me because. Uh, of, of things like worshiping in a building that had an instrument or, or some, something, some little bitty tiny thing like, you know, missing a church service on a Wednesday night or a hundred other things that I was basically raised to believe that is a mortal sin and you are going to burn in hell if, if you do that. That is cult programming. But you can have cult programming about almost anything. Uh, I know a guy who uh, has cult programming about Chevrolet versus Ford. <laughs> it's amazing. He, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the rating services can come out for the year, and I've, I've actually seen this happen, where Ford was at the top and Chevrolet was at the bottom, and he still could not say that Ford was better. He had to come up with this whole conspiracy theory thing that was just unbelievable. And there were a number of us sitting around listening to this and we're like, you really believe that? And, yeah, yeah, they've always been against Chevrolet. It's, it's a conspiracy by the media. It was unbelievable. And this is a guy who is normal in almost every other way. Not one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. But about this one issue, he had been cult programmed by his father, his grandfather, uh, the men in his life that he respected. Now, uh, if you're going to be cult programmed, that's a pretty harmless one to have. But gender issues cult programming can be just as strong and much more destructive. You can find yourself in a situation that is not consistent with who you are, it's not consistent with your conscience, and you waste 20, 30 years of your life in something that uh, ends badly. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that. Let me make one thing clear. Um, for the people who are born intersex or sex indeterminate, for the people who are born uh, with extremely uh, out-of-range hormones for their particular sex, uh, for people who have gender dysphoria, uh, and a number of other things, okay? I, I'm, I hope I'm not coming across as harsh on you because I know you have a different situation, all right? For you, 
Maybe it doesn't feel like a choice and maybe it's not a choice. But, but I believe if you go through the five big questions, find out your identity for real outside of extreme circumstances or cult programming, you will probably come to the same conclusion that you would otherwise, even without that. Because your true identity will take you to your best life, okay? And who you really are, okay? But understand that if you have been really indoctrinated by an extreme person or an extreme group, you may have cult programming. And, and until you unwind that, and it probably won't take you six months of night terrors, uh, I, I believe we've got tools that can help you do that pretty quickly. But until you go through the five big questions, find your identity, consult your conscience, and live who you are, you're probably not going to be at peace. Even if you're doing the, the exact same behavior. You, you may not be at peace because you haven't done the work to prove to yourself that this is really right and this is really who I am. So, yeah, Paul says that homosexuality is a sin and, and, and I agree with that. I'm not going to disagree with Paul. But, is it homosexuality if you're an intersex person? Is it homosexuality if your estrogen or testosterone is to the point that everything in you feels like the other sex and you're trying not to, but you can't help it. It's the way you are made. I know Genesis says God made male and female, and, and, and I believe that, of course, but th these facts are true about the one in thousand, one in every thousand people, 10% of all people, one in 30,000, one in 10,000, uh, uh, false memory syndrome. These things are real, okay? So how is God going to interpret that act for that person in a situation that I've never had to deal with in my life? Because I'm not an intersex. I'm not... The, I don't have high estrogen. I don't have gender dysphoria. I don't have the false memory. Well, there's no way I can know that, in my opinion. So, I need to not judge. I need to love. Okay. Uh, if I think of anything else, I'll add it too. We may need to do a lot of editing on the one for anyone and everyone. Uh, I didn't, didn't feel good about that. So, see what you think. I'm trying to think of an add-on for that. Um, let, let me do an add-on for that. So, where's the issue of homosexuality or, or gay and lesbian if you are one of the 1,000 intersex people or the 10% whose estrogen and testosterone is dramatically different to the point that you feel and believe that you are this sex. Uh, you're not trying to. You can't help it. You can't not do it. You've tried not to do it. it, it that's who you believe you are. Uh, what if you have false memory syndrome? What if you have gender dysphoria? 
where is gay and lesbian? Where are gender issues if you have some of those things going on in your life? Um, well, my conclusion is there's no way I can know. There may not be any way some of the people involved in that can know. They just know what they feel. So my conclusion on that is there's no way I can judge that. No way. And maybe no way you can judge that. Um, God and, and that person, maybe, are the only ones that can. And maybe not even that person. I absolutely believe that every person should do their best to seek their healthiest, happiest life. But what I've witnessed is that when someone, maybe let's say hypothetically, does not have the intersex issue, they don't have the estrogen or testosterone issue, they don't have gender dysphoria, they don't have false memory syndrome, etc. They just feel like they're rejected by their parents or family or, or peer group or whatever. And this group over here that they see that's a different gender or different identity, they are getting lots of positive attention. And that's what I'm craving. So I decide to change my identity. The only thing I'm saying is that when I've worked with people in situations like that, I have rarely seen that end well. Usually 10, 20, 30 years down the road, it ends badly. As opposed to resolving the things that are causing them pain now, figuring out who they really are, what is my identity, versus creating an alternate identity and living that, that's where I've seen wonderful outcomes. I had a client one time that sort of opened my eyes uh, about some of these things, at least that's the way I saw it. Uh, because all of a sudden I saw much more possibility for a healthy life than I had before. Um, the client had come to me because of uh, gender issues, sexual issues, and was uh, not too far from a suicidal place, in their words, not mine, um, were being ostracized by pretty much everyone that they had held dear. Um, the person was a Christian, um, a wonderful person, a kind of person you would want to meet and talk with and uh, have as a friend and, and that sort of thing, and was just in agony and had been in agony for years and was getting close to the end of their rope. And we went back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I felt out of my depth, but I was doing the best I could. And um, they'd already been to like a sexologist uh, to get their perspective and um, had been referred to me. And I'll never forget uh, asking this person, well, have you been to your medical doctor? And for the medical doctor to tell you if they have any insight why 
you feel what you feel and why you don't feel what you don't feel. And both were very relevant. And there was some resistance, but not a lot. And uh, next time we met was after they had been to their medical doctor and they had run tests and had a full examination and all that sort of thing. And uh, the, my client had given the doctor and me permission to talk. And the doctor said, um, here's the honest truth, uh, Dr. Lloyd. This person is about 57% um, male, uh, what would that be, 57-43. No, it wasn't that. It was, it was like... It was like 5347. It's like this person is like 53% male, 47% female. Or maybe it was reversed. This person is 47% male, 53% female. When you include um, chemical, physical, everything. When you include everything, our uh, our testing, examination and evaluation is that this person is about 53%, 47%. And so that's about all I can tell you. I can't really make any advice or, or anything beyond that, but um, we do not see that changing. That is the way it is with this person. And, and frankly, that's the way it is with a lot more people than we realize. And um, that that phone call with that doctor kind of shook me up, okay? And uh, I do believe we are a three-part being. We are body, we are mind, we are spirit. And even when you talk about the physical, it's not just, you know, this physical. Hormones are physical. Uh, brain chemicals are physical. Uh, I believe the, uh, the signals sent back and forth from the brain to the kidney and from the gallbladder to the brain and back. There's chemical signals sent and there's uh, uh, electrical signals sent. And I think all of that is part of our physical system. That We don't get to the non-physical till you start talking about the mind and memories and thoughts and, and things like that, but you, you that's part of us too. Our mental being is part of it too, and then there's also spiritual. So um, I think it's, it's really critical for every single person who is struggling with gender issues themselves and for every single person who is struggling with them as someone um, who cares about that person or is connected to them in some way, that um, there needs to be what are they as a person, what's their true identity, physically, mentally, spiritually. And uh, I believe part of that, uh, a medical doctor or someone like that could determine, part of it you have to go through something like the five big questions uh, what is the meaning of life? What is your particular purpose in life? Are, are you living in love A or love B? Uh, there's a dramatic difference de depending on which of those two you're, you're living in. Uh, are you living out of reaction to trauma 
and, and possibly abuse, but not always, just trauma. Are you, are you living out of some um, time when you were eight years old on the playground and you were rejected and it hurt so bad and was the most painful experience of your life and what you're doing now is all about that eight-year-old memory. You're still trying to make that eight-year-old memory better or you're still trying to run away from that eight-year-old memory um, believing that that's what life is about when it's not. That would be a lie. That eight-year-old memory happened a long time ago. That is not who you are. That's like a splinter that's in you again, but it's not really you. So um, uh, I think before any of us can make uh, a judgment, uh, and maybe not even a judgment, but come to a place where well, th here's my opinion, you've got to consider all of this, and if you're not the person, if you're just someone who loves that person, I think you got to realize you may not be able to come to a judgment ever because that person and God may be the only ones that know. Um, and be careful what opinion you come to that is, is in truth and love, not skewed by the way you were brought up or, um, or, or something else, or what someone else is telling you or feeling embarrassed or criticized or whatever. Make sure it's in truth and love. So, um, and if you've already gone down a gender path, hey, it's never too late to go through this identity stuff to see who you really are and then decide, am, am I going down the right path or do I need to switch paths? And people who don't have any gender issues have to do that. I've done that two or three times in my life. None of them were about gender issues, but uh, they were huge, big changes of direction in my life that um, have ultimately been for the good. Uh, I want to say one other thing is that we tend to run from pain, um, especially if we're living in love a, which I also call fake love, and it's A, not B, because way more people live there than B. B is kind of the road less traveled. But if you're living in love A, then you're largely living your life in response to pain, not based on what is true and what is love-based. And in my experience, that will always get you in trouble every single time. You'll spend 10, 20, 30 years of your life and finally, most people at least, at the end realize this was not, this was not the right path for me. And um, what I try to do is help people realize it before they waste those 10, 20, 30, 40 years of their life and get to that end place where they feel crushing regret, guilt, shame, etc. All right? So I don't believe anyone can, well, let me, I probably should never say anything, is, is never or always. I believe 98, 99% of the time, you cannot know your right path until you find out who you really are, both physically, medically, mind, body, spirit, and 
find out your meaning, your purpose in life, whether you're living by love A or love B, etc. So um, regardless of where you are now, if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do it. Even if you stay on the same path, you're going to be way happier, healthier, and more fulfilled even if you stay on the same path because you're going to be doing it for a different reason. You're going to be doing it now out of love and joy and peace and truth instead of just pain, pleasure. Okay? So um, consider those points. When it comes to this issue of identity and, and especially as we're talking gender identity, I think there's several factors. Um, one is the five big questions. One is, what is your meaning? What is the meaning of your life and, and life in general? What is your purpose in life? Uh, what is your biological identity? And we've already talked a good bit about that. The, the intersex, the gender dysphoria, the hormonal uh, extreme, uh, way extreme hormonal imbalances, chemicals in the brain, things like that, all right? But you also need to consider the psychology, okay? Uh, did you grow up in something like I did that, um, that taught you to believe things are true that are not true? And if so, you've got to go through those five big questions on your own to start unraveling that and discover your true psychological identity. So you can have a biological identity, a psychological or mental identity, and a spiritual identity. And you need to find all three of them. And I believe you will going through those five big questions. That's a, a journey. And it doesn't have to take years. It can take a week for some people. It can take a few weeks. But I believe if you want your best life, you have to go through that and answer those questions for yourself. And not answer them the way you think this group that you're in would answer them. No. From the bottom of your heart, how do you answer them? Uh, and then the last one I wanted to bring up is uh, I call um, Love A versus Love B. Um, or Real love versus fake love. Um, uh, love is the most wonderful, powerful thing in the world. It's what makes life worth living. I believe you'll discover if you do go through the five questions that the biggest common thread through all of it is committing to a life of love and living a life of love. But what I've found over the last 30 years or so is that what most people call love is not love at all, it's self-interest, which is basically another word for selfishness. And they will love you, so to speak, as long as you are giving them what they want from you and not giving them anything they don't want. Might like pain, alright? And that's really the litmus test, is, is uh, uh, and I discovered this when my wife kicked me out of the house after we'd been married about a year and a half. I said, I can't stand to live with you anymore. Will you please live? Actually, she said, I can't stand to, li to live with you another day. Will you please leave the house? And I did. And at first I was very angry because I thought I'd, 
I, I thought I'd been a pretty decent husband. I'd never hit her. I'd never yelled at her. I'd never forced her to do anything or not to do anything. I spoke kindly to her, I think like 100% of the time. Um, but what I realized over about a six-week period that we were separated is that I had never really loved her at all. That what I was calling love was what we started calling in the United States in the 1970s, what's in it for me. It, what I was calling love was a business deal. I'll do this if you'll do that. I won't do this if you don't do that. But if we get into this and you start doing that, then we're going to have problems. That's not real love. That's a business deal. That's, that, that's, that's what's in it for me. How do you know if uh, what you're experiencing for someone is real love or fake love? Or, or what they have for you is real love or fake love? The easiest way to determine that is something in the anger family. When you have a goal that is a wrong goal, that never should have been a goal, blocked, or you're concerned it's going to be blocked, you experience something in the anger family. Anger, irritation, frustration, resentment, bitterness, etc. Google all the emotions related to anger. There's a, there's a whole bunch of them, okay? Um, but if you are loving someone with fake love or they're loving you with fake love, that's how, that's the diagnostic, is you'll see anger from them if they don't get what they want. Or you will experience anger if you don't get what you want. Um, you can almost be guaranteed if that happens that that was not real love. It was fake love. Or maybe you really love them in another way, but not this way. This way is, is what's in it for me. Okay? And um, what all of us are looking for when we think of love is not that. It's not, okay, if I step one foot out of line, if I break one rule or forget something even, then they're mad at me and yelling or, or, or giving me the cold shoulder or leaving me or telling me to get out or cussing me. or None of us want that. No, what do we want? We want real love. And real love is all in with no safety net forever, no matter what. And that is rare in my experience. But when you find it, it is far, far beyond gold. Uh, uh, my, my friend Mark Victor Hansen is the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, the top-selling uh, uh, American nonfiction author, I think, ever. I think they're up to about 150 million books sold. And I think a lot of it is that title. When you find real love, man, it's like home. It's like, you, it's like a chicken soup for the heart or soul. It's like, oh, wow. And it, and it is way better than you ever imagined 
that, that it could be, all right? And I would say that you can't have your best life unless you live real love, and you can't have your best life until you find a partner or someone else in life who is willing to have a relationship with you that is real love, not what's in it for me. And um, I believe that is absolutely possible. I believe if you start living it, you will attract someone that either they're already re living real love or they will start doing that uh, because that's the way you're living and it has such an impact on them. And that's what happened with me and my wife. We're back together. We've been married 34 years and um, she is living real love now um, because I had a spiritual transformation and we got back together and she did not want to get back together. She wanted to hate me. She wanted to divorce me. She wanted to, but she, but she literally couldn't. Real love is almost impossible to resist. It is so powerful. And I would say that is what you are looking for in your life, regardless of gender issues, uh, where you are on that. Um, if you are an extreme case or uh, if you are very much against gender things, um, I would say maybe spend a little more time focusing on real love than um, the what's in it for me about everyone else doing what you think they ought to be doing. Um, that usually doesn't lead to a lot of personal happiness, health, and success. So that's what I want for you, okay? Um, regardless of, of the gender issue in your life or someone you know or just uh, uh, thinking about it as far as it's, it's a big issue going around in the world, um, that's true. But living day-to-day -day real love is the most important thing. And typically, if you get that right, the other stuff will sort itself out and will become right also. Um, so, um, uh, examine yourself. And that's part of the five big questions, too, is are you now living real love or fake love? And if you're living fake love, how you can start today living real love and it will change everything in your life and will lead every time to your best possible life. And I believe that's um, why we're here. I believe that's what God intended. Um, and I believe um, it is available to every one of us, all 7.8 billion in the world and 330 million in the United States. Boy, what a revolution it would be if all of us committed to real love and stopped any way that we are participating with what's in it for me, fake love. I did part of my um, doctoral internship under a psychologist who was uh, literally world-renowned. He was the keynote speaker 
at big conferences and conventions uh, all, all over, and I mean conferences where there's thousands and thousands of people there. At the time uh, I did uh, a practicum under him, he was working with over a hundred ministers, a lot of whom would fly in from across the country to meet with him. Uh, very highly regarded, a wonderful man. I really enjoyed my time with him. And um, I'll never forget one time as he was mentoring me, he was talking about um, affairs and divorce and remarriage, which is a, was a big hot, hot, uh, hot coal issue in the church that time. He, he was a Christian. And um, he was saying that if he has a client who has had an affair and the affair is now over, that a lot of times they struggle with whether to confess it to their spouse or not. And that he advises them, and he said he had for years, and this was something that he had learned many years ago, he advises them not to tell them. And um, I was surprised when I heard that. And he said, and he said, yeah, he said, if it's really over and if they have repented and confessed and been forgiven by God and it's, and it's truly over, the confession to the spouse typically is not for the spouse. It's, it's to soothe their own conscience. And if they tell them, Typically, the spouse is never the same again. It, it totally destroys their life and, and their marriage and, and very often their children and family as a result of that. Now, he said there have been a few that are exceptions, but the 90% rule is that if they tell them when it's over, um, it, it's going to do nothing but destruction and it's not really love for the spouse. It's trying to clear and soothe their own conscience. And I had never really heard that before from inside the church. Um, I, there were also situations, so, so he was basically telling them they should lie um, if that came up, but lie out of love for their spouse, not wanting to devastate them, knowing that it was over and they'd already confessed, repented, been forgiven, etc. I'll never forget, in, uh, I believe it was, um, it was in one of my ethics classes in, um, in uh, school, and the professor was talking about a situation, uh, is lying always wrong? Okay, and this was a, a Christian professor, all right? Is lying always wrong? And the general consensus was that it was, but we were discussing it. But I didn't agree with that. I didn't agree that it was always wrong. And um, so the professor talked about a situation where um, uh, robbers are coming in to rob your house and kill you, and uh, before they got in, you had told your wife and kids to go hide in a place that was specially built for that, that you really believe they will never find them in that place. But I didn't have time to get there or something. Anyway, it was an ethical dilemma, hypothetical situation. And the professor's opinion 
was that you don't lie. That even though you know they're going to go straight and kill your wife and children, you should just have faith in God that he's going to take care of it and not lie because lying is a sin. All right? And I disagreed with him then, and I disagree with him today. I would lie a hundred times out of a hundred. And to me, to me, it doesn't come down so much to sin, especially after Jesus, because we're in a, in a realm of grace now where the sin has already been forgiven. It comes down to what is the loving thing to do. And in that situation for me, the loving thing for the robbers is to not allow them to kill three more people. That that's going to be bad for the robbers if they kill three more people. And so the loving thing, if I can, is to keep them from doing that. Okay? Um, and, and, and my, I don't know, you might say that's going by the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. I, I'm not sure. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that that's what I believe. Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love. And the second one is love. And if you do that, you've done it all. Um, you've kept the whole law if you, if you do that. John said, you will know them by their love. You'll know the ones that are followers of his, not because they tell the truth, not because they um, have sex with the right person. You'll know them by their love. And, and I believe that that comes into play here too. That what is the loving thing in this situation? And, and I believe God looks at it that way as well. It says God looks at the heart. He wants the heart. All right, um, and, and the heart is where the whys are. And that person I referenced earlier who, who was a client of mine who the doctor said is 53% one sex, 47% another sex, the one thing I feel sure of um, in the decision that person made as to which sex to live their life as, the one thing I'm sure of, maybe the only thing, is that they went with what they thought was the loving thing, the thing most rooted in love and truth for them. What does that mean? It means that when God looks at that person, I believe, if, if they were telling me the truth, and I believe they were, he's going to see a clear conscience. He's going to see love and truth as the reason they did it, not just because... I want to, uh, just, just because I want to feel good and, and have this sort of sexual feeling rather than that one. That is not why they did it. I know that is true. And, um, and I would recommend that um, for everyone who's trying to sort through these issues. Don't forget to factor in um, not just the letter of the law, is this a lie or is it not? But was it the loving thing to do in that situation? Was it win, win, win in that situation? Um, a passage that 
whether you agree with me or disagree with me, I think has a lot of bearing on this, is in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. I'm just going to read it a little bit, starting with verse 9. Yeah. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And then... There's a heading for the next section, and the heading is sexual immorality. And then here's the next thing that Paul says. Everything is permissible for me. And I believe he's talking about under grace. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says it again, the exact same thing a second time. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then he starts talking about food for the stomach and um, uh, sexual immorality for the body and and those kind of things. Um, So do I believe that straight homosexuality where a person is a certain sex pretty much a hundred percent and just makes a decision for the sexual fun of it and feel of it I'm gonna go the other way do I believe that is a sin I do that's what Paul says and I'm not gonna quarrel with Paul okay but That's not really the situation I'm talking about with these gender things. It's where the person's not 100% one sex. Maybe they're not even 80, 70, or 60. When you consider body, mind, and spirit, the whole being. Uh, And um, in those situations, if, if... a male sleeps with a female. Uh, if a male sleeps with a male or a female with a female, do I believe it's a sin? I believe I can't judge that. Um, and only God can. Maybe even the um, that person can't even totally judge it. So, um, to me, that's the place where Judgment is for God and small children, although not small children, in this case, only God. It's a difficult issue, but I think it's one that needs to be approached in love, and and you need to find out what your identity is. You need to find out medically what the situation is, and then make a decision that is in truth as best you can determine it and in love as best you can do it. Um, Pray, meditate, discuss, and come to your own conclusion. But don't just make a knee-jerk reaction. Um, A lot of these are wonderful people with good hearts who are trying to do what's right and best for them. Well, I would say that people who are struggling with these gender issues 
might very well qualify as um, one of the least of these, my brothers. Um, I believe prostitutes certainly qualified for that with Jesus and the woman caught in the act. And he wrote, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Um, so I believe our attitude toward people who are struggling with these gender issues should be as described here, to love them, care for them, to withhold judgment because they may be an intersex person. They may be an estrogen, testosterone, disproportionate person. They may have false memory syndrome. They may, may be gender dysphoric, or they may just be lost and struggling right now, grabbing for something that makes them feel like they fit in, but that doesn't make them a bad or evil person, and they may even change um, their opinion about a lot of that later, all right? Uh, I heard a wonderful uh, quote a long time ago, judgment is for God and small children. And, and, and I believe that. Um, you will be judged as you judge. Let's go to Micah 6, verse 8. Um, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Pretty succinct. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And then the last one I'm going to read, um, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. A lying tongue, head, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension. Um, no mention of gender issues, although you might say, uh, quick, that rush to evil might qualify there, but, it, but to that person, it's not evil. Uh, they're believing that's their identity, and they're going to live their true identity. So I think we have to be careful there. Um, so to me, the bottom line is um, love, compassion, kindness, support, um, and, and if you're one that is involved with the gender issues, you know, you're feeling like um, you're not sure what your gender is or whatever, I would encourage you to search for the truth until you feel like you have found it. And, um, uh, and, and if you're an intersex person, Maybe only you or God ever know that. And maybe you don't even know for sure, or it changes back and forth. If you're, if you're one of the people who has estrogen testosterone issues, you can absolutely feel something that seems to go against your, your, the way your genitals are made. And, and it's very confusing, very off-putting, um, embarrassing, uh, young people can be cruel in those situations. So anyway, uh, I hope with this I've shed a little more light that there are some complications where it's not a matter of a person just choosing. Oh, I want to be a different gender. No, they're, they're, they're physically or chemically 
or hormonally or psychologically wired different. And um, I don't believe there's any way that I can judge that. And and again, very often the person themselves doesn't know. So um, I hope this has been a benefit. Uh, I hope maybe you learned something you didn't know before. There's no easy answers in a lot of these situations except love and kindness always. Have a wonderful, blessed day.